everyone. We're the Maker Group. Welcome to our podcast, Fun Builds. It's a fun podcast with fun people talking about fun things that connect us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to what we're going to call season two of our podcast, A Place to Go, where we look behind the scenes at some of the people and projects that are changing public spaces across Canada and in some cases the world. Greetings from Winnipeg. I'm your host, Brennan Fidak. And before we get to our esteemed guest, I'd like to introduce our new co-host, Kirk Hutchinson. Thanks for joining, Kirk. It's glad to have you here. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest today. Her name is Suzanne Quinn. Suzanne is a researcher, a lecturer, an author, and currently the manager of the Compan Play Institute. And in my opinion, an expert on all things regarding play and child development. And I would be hard pressed to find someone to disagree with me. Um, she's a wealth of information and we're happy to have her on. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? Thank you so much for having me today. It's um, good to be with you both. You touched on this a little bit um, previously about some of the research that you're really proud of, but is there like, what's some of the work that you are, you know, the absolute proudest of in your time with Compan? I'm, I'm interested to hear if you've got a response for that yeah. or if it's everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm really proud of, of every, everything that we do. I think it's hard to see, you know, the value of what it is that you do, your part, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm more, you know, proud of is when I drive by a playground that I never knew existed, I just did it yesterday with my mother, again, out in a very rural area of Florida. And we were just looking at, you know, what was around in the area, just take a little short drive. And right behind where she lives, there's a school that I used to work with when I worked in Florida at the university here. And I, I said, that's a compound playground. Because <laughs> you, know, you can recognize it you know, right away. And then I just said to her, how did they get one out of here? Yeah. I just like, that's great. I think that that's fantastic. So that's more like of a pride thing. And then of course, you know, whenever something comes out in the media and it's, you know, not something that we expected to happen. Um, I think it was like the 50 most coolest places for kids came out and there was one of our playgrounds. I think maybe two of our playgrounds were on the list. And I was just like, you know, that's that makes me feel proud. Um, it's a group effort. So I think um, it's in, you know, from the people that do the innovative designs and, and all of the safety to, you know, the people who make sure that a rural community in uh, Zephyr Hills, Florida gets a compound playground is... <laughs> it's pretty rewarding. When you can see your efforts come to fruition and the result is smiling people. Like that's, yeah. that's a pretty unique experience for sure. So how did you take this research that you're always engaging in? And how do you, I guess, apply that in a practical sense, knowing that, you know, you just mentioned that community input is really important. Are you seeing kind of a, an influx in a lot of projects that you work on in your research with community input? Or do you kind of take your research and then apply it from there? How do you kind of make that, that leap to this is what I know and this is kind of, I can't say recommendations, but this is what we know will work and how do you kind of bring that community into it so that it has a positive impact on the end results and these playgrounds that are getting put in the ground? Because I've seen, you know, sometimes it can be a challenge, you know, the more voices you have, the more difficult it becomes to reach that end goal. Well, I say when you're working for a company, as I do, Companion, you know, and we're laser focused on this 
you know, one aspect. And so these are our values and this is what we're focused on. We're always just trying to pay attention to, okay, let's find out what makes the products better, but then let's also find out how that matters to the people that are going to be making the decisions. Um, So it's super applied research. Whereas when you're at university, it's more, well, for me anyway, there are a lot of different approaches to research at uh, university researchers. It's more about, you know, well, what are the broader issues in society? And then how can we take a slice of this and understand it a little bit better? So this is more applied right from the get-go. So it starts from, you know, research questions that are really related to the end user, the children, um, Mm -hmm. but also the people that are going to make the decisions for the end user. So there's that. And we produce white papers that, you know, we make decisions about what is going to be, you know, a topic of a white paper based on what we see trending in the industry and then more broadly. But there's a lot of micro research that is, again, super applied. So if there's a big project and, you know, the sales consultant that's working with the customer will say, well, we want to know about this, which is the best thing to pick for this, or, you know, how does this compare to this? And our budget is this, and we need you know, to fit it with that. So there's a, a lot of very um, specific research that we do that is completely practical, bespoke to that project. Right. Okay. A little easier to translate over then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess you, you briefly touched on these white papers that Compound has been publishing and that the Play Institute has been publishing. So can you talk a little bit about you know what those white papers are and what their kind of end goal is? Yeah, the white papers we have on a range of topics, I think some of the most popular ones are about inclusive play. So we have a, a play for all and we have one called truly inclusive. That is based on research that we've done in consultation with children and their pedagogues and parents as well on you know what is good for these children and then also some desk research on what are the experiences of persons with disabilities so that's a strong component of our white paper offer we always want to make the most out of the research that we've done at innovation phase with you know when a product launches as well so for mm-hmm. example we have a a line of products launched this year on sensory play, which is a really important topic, is a part of the suite of universally designed products that are really attractive to persons who may focus their play on sensory types of activities and the visual and the tactile and also body pressure. So of course, we have a white paper associated with that and that's about to launch soon. So that's you know, in its final stages, and we're going to be putting that out soon. But we also tackle topics such as language development on playgrounds, of course, compared mm-hmm. with playgrounds and not on playgrounds. Physical activity, we've done studies of, you know, how many calories you burn on a playground typically. So that forms the bulk. And we do have a nice curated collection of research papers. And the end goal of them is to make them easily digestible. Mm. Big learning curve for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am used to, you know, the last thing I published before, well, I mean, I still continue to do so, but the last book that I was involved with is 35 chapters, you know, Every micro detail of every, you know, it was on international perspectives in early childhood. So, 
you know, perspectives from a range of countries. And so I'm, you know, I'm used to writing with a lot of detail. So for every white paper, there is a 20 page paper behind. <laughs> but, you know, of course, we don't want to bog people down with that. We act as a resource. And if a person wants to know more, then that's where my micro um, bespoke research can come in. Yeah, I can't imagine the uh, arduous and heartbreaking process of editing a 20-page document down to, I believe, those white papers are one or two pages, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the it's rest actually, of the world appreciate <laughs> Yeah. I, you know what? I appreciate it now. I'm you know, getting to the point in my life where I get it. I feel like you know, your time is precious. So a lot of it is about credibility. Do you trust the author? Do you trust the source? Mm. Can you critique it yourself and put it into the context of, of what it can do for you? And so if you can do that in two pages, then you've done very well. Or explain your life's work in 30 minutes on a podcast, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, about those white papers, and you talked about it, this more of a sensory play direction in terms of what Compound is producing and developing a white paper for that. And we talked a little bit about inclusion as well. So other than that, are there any other design trends or play trends that you foresee or anything that you can kind of divine based on your research so far? So I'm really interested talking way into the future. You know, if we colonize Mars, what are the playgrounds going to be like there? (laughs) I saw the architectural proposal, I think, in the AIA Digest a few weeks ago, or it might have been Metropolis Magazine. They were building like sort of underhill house with like all these portals to the outside where you could just see the outside. And I thought, where is the play going to be there? You wouldn't need surfacing. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I, I don't even know. So that's into the future. And I mean, certainly that's the distant future. That's at least 60 or 70 years. But it won't be long. I also just read that we will have a space station leisure facility, you know, hotel. It's set to open in 2027. I somehow thought to myself, that's not too long from now. Yeah, wow. But bringing it a little bit back down to Earth, (laughs) I would say the most tangible trend occurring now and will carry us into the next five years is nature play. And I'm a big fan of problematizing what does this mean, nature play. And we've done several webinars. I've done several conference presentations on this topic. It always gets a, a lot of really good dialogue around it. Because, of course, when you're, you're talking about design and materiality, a lot of times a customer would probably say, you know, okay, that means I want a wood playground. Or it means I don't want any equipment. <laughs> I just right. some boulders and we'll call that a day. And I'm very much an advocate based on the research, you know, that we've done at Compan, but also the academic research and this relationship between children's activity and being in the outdoors. I'm very much a proponent of supplying structures for children to play actively and not necessarily wood, although wood is beautiful and it may fit your environment, but I wouldn't rule out working with ropes and working with steel sensitively and lightly, not you know, mm. steel cages or anything like <laughs> structures that provide enough transparency that you can see the environment that's around you. Because of course, 
it's going to be super important for us to continue to think about, you know, cradle to cradle lifespan of these structures that we invest in. And, you know, what is the lifespan of that wood? Is that wood ethically sourced? And, you know, the same with the steel and then whatever it's treated with. So I see that trending nature play, but questioning what does this mean? And that's where I see we have a lot of influence as a play institute in distilling all that research, but then also bringing it to, you know, some design strategy suggestions that will work for people. So how do you tread that line? I've seen a lot of this nature playgrounds and you're right, it's pretty all encompassing. It could mean a couple of boulders and it could mean a wooden structure or something that is not made of wood at all, but aesthetically it looks kind of like something that you would find in nature. How do you tread that line to provide a community with something that's functional, beautiful, still has that nature play. You know, I'm thinking of the compound playground in Tofino, British Columbia, which is fantastic. And it's in this community park. It's stunning. It's obviously outdoors. And they do a pretty good job. It's a lot of, um, Brendan, you might remember, it's these basically tipped over logs. So there's all these kind of like, almost like an adventure course, but then they have a traditional playground element to it. But it Mm -hmm. seems to me that it would be a difficult balance because you have some coming from the camp that it has to be, let's put our kids in the bush and let it run. versus (laughs) versus <laughs> no, we need a functional playground. How do you kind of balance that? Yeah, I mean, I think actually Brennan probably knows better because <laughs> you're dealing with the customer. I could give you the research behind it. Yeah, please. So for example, <laughs> there's a lot of research that tries to tries to compare the amount of physical activity that children would get in an open field or uh, non-built environment with the amount of physical activity that they would get if there were some structures supplied, right? It's very difficult to make conclusions from that. I would say I'm fairly confident that you get more exercise when there's structures, but I'm not, you know, 1000% confident that we've considered all of the factors in all of the scenarios, you know? So if you're in New York city in, you know, the center of Manhattan, it's very different than being in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. It is you know more dense and you know the kinds of activities that people engage in and the way that they feel environments is, is so much heavier in Manhattan than it is in British Columbia. How do you convince the community of what is going to be good for them? I mean, I don't know, Brennan, do you have some ideas? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it comes down to what the community has as a priority. If their priority is simply to provide a place for children to play, then the materiality and maybe the context or the sites, that's not super important. They want to you know, check the boxes of we need to provide swinging, we need to provide sliding, these kinds of things. But when there's a community group that's you know, willing to open up their process to consult, to explore new ideas, if there's an interesting site that's maybe in a densely wooded area, then you know, maybe that lends itself more to these nature playgrounds. Or I believe, you know, there's a place for every kind of playground. And that consultation process, just like you mentioned with community involvement, like that's really getting to know what a client or a community group or an architect, what they hold as important. And then you kind of provide a solution based on that. Because, you know, there's a wide compound and many play providers, there's a wide, wide palette of things that can be pulled from. So it's definitely open-ended, but it's part of a discussion and discourse. It's never, you know, I have a solution, here's my solution, and we're done. It's always, you know, a back and forth. 
We do have one more question for you. Extremely important. This could change play as we know it based on your response. So you should <laughs> feel the weight of your fist on your shoulders. Would you rather know the history of every object you've touched or be able to talk to animals? I love this question. It's really difficult to decide, of course. My first reaction to a question like this is, I already feel like I talk to animals pretty well. I'm okay with it. I maybe don't need to know more from Hector, my canine companion, or Buster and Minnie, my feline companions, or Jockin, the alligator in my backyard. I don't really want to talk to him. When I, when I go out in the garden and I see him, I'm mostly just trying to get vibe him away. So he's just your cranky roommate that uh, lives in the back? Yeah, I mean... He's more sort of ominous and threatening than cranky. And right now it's mating season, so... Oh, boy. Yeah, he growls, and it's I've never really heard anything like that before. I don't know. I feel like I communicate with animals to a satisfactory degree, although there could always be room for improvement. But I am fascinated by the history of objects and just even a consciousness of what objects I actually have touched. There's a lot of objects in our visual fields that we don't touch. And I was just thinking to myself as, you know, I'm indoors a lot more now than I'd like to be. As I look at things outside my window, which are mostly naturalized things, but I've never really touched them. So that's fascinating. But as far as the history of the objects, I find that that would be an interesting pursuit. You know, obviously, I've touched a lot of doorknobs and I lived in London for 10 years, London and England. You know, I grabbed on a lot of posts on the bus and on the train, and I've stepped on a lot of surfaces. I bet you concrete is probably the most touched object in my life. But I do wonder, you know, where does it come from? Who are Mm -hmm. people that are involved in the production of it? And as we move forward in our climate emergency, I'm becoming more and more interested in, you know, as we spoke up before, you know, the cradle of the cradle experience of materials that are in our lives. And just, you know, of course, this applies to playgrounds. And this isn't my area of playground expertise, but it's everybody's area of concern. So, yeah, I think that's fascinating. How about you all? Do you know what you would rather do? Well, mine is not as in-depth as yours. I just really want my dog to listen to me. So I'm going with animals. (laughs) (laughs) We talked a little bit about Frobel and Frobel's gifts, right? Like, what if you got your hands on something like that? What kind of stories could you tell with that? Um, Yeah, well, I've been lucky enough. So I worked at Frobel College in London. And so these were educators that were trained by him and then came and started this college. Um, Wow. We have artifacts. We can't say they were touched by Frobel, but they were (laughs) by the people that, you know, he trained. But also an interesting related to that, there's a a remarkable woman and she has passed on just a little less than a decade ago. Her name is Eleanor Goldschmid. She pioneered the concept related to heuristic play, you know, play with objects called treasure basket. And a treasure basket is a basket that you create for your newborn child out of everyday objects so that the child can you know, feel and touch and get acquainted with the world. And it's just a moving concept and it's really lovely. When Eleanor passed, our archive obtained her personal treasure basket 
Wow. And so, yeah, this was a really big deal for us at the Froebel Archive and also for the college because then we could, you know, bring it to students and that, you know, they could actually touch what Eleanor touched when she came up with this idea of the treasure basket. So, yeah, I think that there are so many interesting, curious, playful pursuits in that idea of a history of objects. Yeah, no, I, to answer the question, I, you know, I don't have alligators here, so I might you know, lean a little bit more towards the animal part of things. Again, in a rural area, I'd love to know what my cows think of me. <laughs> but no, I think the objects would be a, a much cooler. That'd be just, I, I love having bits of information. So I'd, I'd always have something in store if I just pick up something, <laughs> have a story ready to go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne, for chatting with us. There's obviously a wide field of research related to, you know, not only kids at play, but, you know, the world as a whole, the environmental crisis and cradle to cradle is an awesome concept and many people are familiar, but if you're not, feel free to look it up. Plenty of information about that. And, you know, we're learning, you know, we learned that play is a little bit, little bit more complex than just playing grounders on a playground. So I appreciate the educative process. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by The Maker Group, including Parkworks, Waterplay, and We Kid Manufacturing. Contact us at info at makergroup.com. That's info at M-A-K-R group.com. We'll connect again soon. Thank you.